But um, I just, you know, what we were talking about is really important, and uh, we'll get that out there maybe by podcast or some other ways, and uh, we'll be back in series in, um, in October. And maybe it would be helpful even to go over the, the sermon uh, notes, the um, small group notes that, that we provide for you. That'll give you a good uh, understanding of what we were talking about or going to be talking about. But uh, God just kind of has taken me out of that for, for a lot of reasons. And a lot of it's pretty apparent why, why God would move us in a different direction on, on these last two Sundays. And today we're going to talk about wrestling with God. Uh, you know, we, we use that phrase, uh, we wrestle with decisions, right? <laughs> we, we wrestle with problems and relationships. We, we wrestle with circumstances. And, and sometimes we wrestle with God. And I was just curious, anybody out there, have you ever wrestled with God over something? <laughs> it's, kind of an interesting, it's kind of an interesting phrase when you think about it. It's kind of an interesting image. Uh, you, you have the image, and we'll, we'll be talking about this through the prism, of course, of, of Jacob. And, uh, you know, Jacob has this encounter where he's wrestling with, with someone that, that, that he eventually concludes is, is God. And, and I think a lot of us have this in our life where there's just circumstances where we just wrestle with, with God and with the circumstance. We try to figure things out. And uh, I don't know how you folks are, but I'm, I'm kind of somebody that likes to make sense of life. <laughs> Anybody else like that? And and sometimes when life doesn't make sense, we, we wrestle with those circumstances and the decisions that we have to make. So let's, let's track through the story of Jacob, and then I have some simple points at the end of it. Of course, Jacob is the son of, of Isaac, the grandson of, um, of Abraham. Isaac is married to Rebekah. Uh, they, they don't have children for a while, and, and, then, and then she is expecting with, with twin boys, and, and they're fighting within her womb, and, and it's, it's Jacob, and Jacob means basically supplanter, and Esau, and, and his name basically means he who acts. So you have the supplanter and he who acts, and, and uh, Jacob is born, Esau is born, and when Esau is born, Jacob has a hold of his, whole, his heel, <laughs> uh, because there's all this, this imagery, this importance of birthright and being born first, and, and so from the very beginning, there is this, this conflict between the two boys, this competition between the two boys. Now, if, if you had brothers... Uh, you understand that it's, it's not uncommon to have competition uh, between brothers, but this goes a little bit beyond just normal competition. So, so, so Jacob is the younger and Esau is the older. And, and, and when, when Esau is out hunting one time, he comes back to camp and, and Jacob has, uh, has prepared this chili, just like that chili recipe I gave you a couple of weeks ago. He's prepared some sort of stew that, um, that smells really good and looks really good. And, and, and I think Esau, in exaggeration, is starving literally to death, right? Uh, those of you who've ever had teenage boys understand that starving to death is, is a relative term. Uh, but he was starving to death. He needed something to eat. And, and Jacob gave him this stew. But to, give him, to get this stew from Jacob, he, he gave in exchange his birthright. And the, and the birthright was this thing that the, the oldest son would have. It, it entitled him to a double portion of the father's inheritance. 
It, it enabled him to have judicial authority, the, the right to make judgments with regard to the family. It, it, it was a sacred, it had a sacred significance to be the eldest. And, and he gave this up. <laughs> he gave this up for a bowl of stew. Uh, you know, really, you know, you'd have to be pretty hungry to give that up for a bowl of stew, right? And he does. And, and so it says in the Bible, it uses this phrase, Esau despised his birthright. He hated it. He, he disdained it. He held it with disdain. And there's really, it's interesting, I, I looked at this and I studied this, there's no explanation to why Esau held his birthright and disdain. And the, the only thing I can take from that is his actions defined his attitude. <laughs> In other words, there, there's nothing that the biblical writer can record that, that, that said, hey, Jacob or Esau despised his birthright, but by the story, by what happened, he held in disdain, he despised his birthright. And as I stopped and thought about that, I wondered, what does our actions say about the things that we value? <laughs> you know, are, are there things that, that, that you should be valuing, but your actions say, well, they really hold that in disdain or they despise it? So Jacob ends up with Esau's birthright, and, 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 and he doesn't leave it there. As they get older, you know, the description of the boys, Esau is this manly man, <laughs> This hairy, manly man. <laughs> and Jacob apparently hangs out in the tent and plays Xbox all the time. Uh, you know, he's a little bit less manly uh, than, than, than Esau. And, you know, he, he's close to his mom, to Rebecca, and, and, and Esau seems to be closer to Isaac. And, and so Isaac is going to bless Esau to give him the firstborn blessing. And I wonder about this. I wonder if Isaac knew that Esau had sold his birthright for a bowl of stew. I wonder if anybody knew that other than Jacob and Esau. And so he wants to bless Isaac or Jacob or Esau. How many names, when you call your kids' names, you name them every name other than their right name, Okay. So Isaac wanted to give the blessing to Esau, the firstborn. And so he sent him out to, to, to do some hunting, to cook some good food, and then he'd give him the blessing. And, and so Rebecca heard about this, and so Rebecca said, okay, here's what I want you to do, Jacob. <laughs> but by the way, um, and, and this is kind of an interesting thing, in many ways... Jacob is the perfect example of a deceiver. <laughs> in many ways, the, Jacob's actions in life are a, a model or a reflection of the great deceiver, Satan. And, and, and it's interesting that God can use this individual when he's pretty deceptive in the way he lives his life. And so she sends Jacob to get a lamb, and, and she prepares it, and they put, they put the um, animal skin on his arms and on his neck, so he'll be hairy like Esau. Doesn't it give you a great image of what Esau must have looked like? And so Jacob brings it to his dad and says, it's me, it's Isaac, I'm here for my blessing. Or I'm Esau, I'm here for my blessing. And Isaac says, well, okay, uh, you know, you, you kind of sound like Jacob. <laughs> 
And, and so he gives him the food, and, and, and then he comes, come close to me. I want to give you the blessing. He touches the back of his neck, and he touches his forearms and says, well, you have the voice of Jacob, but you feel like Esau. And so he gives him this great blessing, this blessing of, you know, you, you are going to be greater than your brother and, and, and all these things. And, and, and so then Esau comes in. And, you know, he says, hey, it's me, Esau, and, and Isaac's, well, I just, wait a minute, I just gave the blessing to who I thought was Esau, and there's, there's this great emotional moment, and Esau's just begging, Father, can you give me any blessing? And the blessing's not much of a blessing. It's you are going to serve your younger brother. Now, Jacob is going to be an authority over you. So, of course, this family has great harmony and peace and love for one another. No, it's, it's as you would imagine, there's, there's a lot of anguish. Uh, Esau has lost his birthright, and he's lost his blessing. And, earth, and Esau plots, basically, as soon as Isaac's gone, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill my brother. And Rebecca gets word of this. And she decides, well, I need to send Jacob away. And Esau had married a Hittite woman, and he had married some local ladies, and, and they weren't real happy with that anyhow. And so, so Rebecca goes to Isaac and says, let's send Jacob to Laban. Let, let, let's send Jacob to Laban and let him find a wife of our kind, of our, of our line there, so he doesn't marry one of these Hittite women around us. And so Jake, uh, East, Isaac agrees, and he sends Jacob back, but in essence, Jacob is fleeing from his brother Esau. He, he's, he's running for his life. And he ends up with Laban, and, and he, he meets Laban's daughters, and uh, there, there's two daughters, Rachel and Leah. And the Bible doesn't say, it's, it's really interesting. I looked this up and tried to figure this out. I, I could not find a line for Laban with sons, but later in the story it talks about Laban's sons being upset. And so, you, you know, I, I don't know what significance that would have had in the, in, in the line of Laban for, for only to have two daughters and, and what these kids would have meant to him as we move on in the story. That, that Jacob has with Rachel and Leah. But, but, but he, he apparently has sons as well. But he has these two daughters. All right, those of you who are biblical scholars, which one's hot? <laughs> Come on, you guys know. Rachel. And Leah is kind of less hot, okay? So, so Rachel's a 10 and Leah's at like a 9.95. And... Uh, and so Jacob falls in love, or, or he, he wants to marry Rachel. And, and so Laban says, fine. Um, <laughs> you couldn't make this stuff up if you were a preacher. I'm thankful for the Bible. These are the greatest stories in the world. <laughs> Jacob works seven years uh, for, for Rachel, and they had the big marriage ceremony. And, and somehow... <laughs> You know, we, we won't go into all these things. Somehow, Laban slips in Leah instead of Rachel. And, you know, that's the great, the great preacher line. You ever, you ever 
think you married Rachel and woke up with Leah. And, uh, and, and so that's exactly what happened. He, uh, he wakes up the next morning and, and it's not Rachel, it's Leah. And, uh, and Jacob was upset. <laughs> and, uh, and so he goes to Laban and says, hey, you've tricked me here. And, and Laban says, well, you know, we, we don't usually marry the, the, the youngest daughter first. You know, we, we marry the oldest daughter first. And so what we'll do, I swear these stories, uh, what we'll do is uh, you can have Rachel after you finish your marriage week and then just work seven more years for me. So work 14 years and, and you can have both of them. That's quite a bargain, isn't it, guys? <laughs> and so he does. He, work, he, he, he finishes the marriage week and, and then he has a marriage ceremony with Rachel and, and they're married and he works seven more years. And, and they begin to have kids with him. Uh, actually, Leah begins to have kids with him. Uh, she, she has favor, as the scripture says. And, and, and Leah has four sons. And, and, and this is when the story begins to get interesting. Rachel's not able to have any kids. I mean, I'm, I'm going to start blushing when I'm telling this story. And so Rachel gives Jacob her maidservant, which, of course, is completely ordinary and normal for us. Uh, she, he gives her maidservant, and sure enough, Jacob has two kids with her maidservant. Uh, Leah sees that this has worked, and of course, she has a maidservant. And so she gives her maidservant to Jacob, and he has two boys with her. And then all of a sudden, Leah begins to have children again, and she has two more boys and a daughter, who's Dinah, who becomes an integral part of the story later on. And then finally, Rachel is blessed with Joseph. And, and then later on in the story, they'll have Benjamin. But where we are in the story now, they, they've got these boys that have come from a mixture of, of ladies and, and, you know, just a normal family situation in the, the Middle East 3,000 years ago. And so Jacob's working for his, his father-in-law, and he, he decides, okay, he wants to build his own flock, and so he, he's a good shepherd, and, and so they reach this arrangement where Jacob will receive all the speckled or dark-colored sheep or rams, and his father-in-law will, will keep the, the clear, the pure white ones, and, and so there's, in, in the story, and, and I don't, I, I wish I had a shepherd in here that could tell me if this works or not. Bruce, I, I don't know. Uh, you know, he cuts like a, a piece of wood, and, and, you know, it makes it look spotted and puts it in the water trough, and, and, and somehow this affects what color they're, I, I don't know. Uh, it doesn't seem to be how I would understand animal husbandry, but maybe it did have an effect. God did something at least, and he began to have the stronger animals began to be the speckled and dark colored. And one of the things was he was mating the stronger animals so that that would be the line that you would have. In many ways, as I've thought about this, this is the second time Jacob has stolen a blessing. There's not just the blessing of Esau, but there's the inheritance of Laban's sons that Jacob has, has somehow taken. And so, as you might expect, they begin to see that, that Jacob's flocks are growing and their flocks are becoming weaker and less significant. And it says in the Bible, the sons of Laban begin to get upset. Uh, 
and Jacob decides, okay, I've got another, <laughs> I've got another elder brother angry at me. Maybe I'll take my chances and make peace with Esau, and be, begins to make this plan to go home. And and he he flees basically in the middle of the night. He doesn't say anything to Laban, and he just takes off with with his with Laban's daughters, his wives, and all these kids, and you know, pr- pretty significant that, that he would do this. And, and, and Laban finds out that he's gone, and he catches up with him. And uh, uh, there's all this story about a, a, a family god that's gone, that, that Rachel has in a saddle under her, and, and she can't get up because it's her time of the month. And it's in the Bible. I'm not just making it up. Read it. And, and Laban is, and then Jacob just basically, hey, you, you've accused me, and you know, all I'm doing is taking what belongs to me home. And, uh, and there's all this dialogue where Laban says, well, no, really, it belongs to me. <laughs> uh, but God has warned me. God has warned me not to touch you. Uh, I, I could hurt you. I could kill you. But God has warned me in a dream on my way here to not lay a hand on you or yours. And so they, they make this covenant together that, that there would be no animosity, no, no repercussions. And, and they build a monument there and they give, it, they give it the same name. But one of them, Laban gives it the name in Aramaic. <laughs> And Jacob gives it the name in Hebrew. And so there's the same name calling it something different. I think that's kind of symbolic. Oftentimes that's the way things work in life, isn't it? It's the same thing, but we just call it different things. And that's what's going on here. And so Jacob begins to make his way home. And um, I wonder, what what would you do uh, if you were going to be facing Esau? What, what, what would you do as you got closer each, each step of the way to Esau? And so Jacob begins to send gifts over. <laughs> begins to divide his flocks and, and, and his, his possessions and send them over in front of him towards Esau. And then finally, it's, it's just him and his wife and his kids and, 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 and then... In verse, in chapter 32, uh, it's just Jacob. Let's read this together. Genesis 32, beginning in verse 22. During the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two servant wives and his 11 sons, and crossed the Jabbok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions. This left Jacob all alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until the, uh, the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. Then the man said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What's your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel, because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do, you, why do you want to know my name? The man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. The sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel, and he was limping because of an injury to his, the injury to his hip. Even today, 
The people of Israel don't eat the tendon near the hip socket because of what happened that night when the man strained the tendon of Jacob's hip. Now we're going to stop the story there. And there, There's really four just real simple things I want us to see this morning. And the first is this. God can move even in our chaos. When you look at the life of Jacob, it is chaotic and difficult. And, and, and to be honest, many times our life moves in a very chaotic way as well. And Jacob reminds us that, that even in this, these twists and turns, these ups and downs, that what, what seems to be just chaos with no meaning sometimes, God can even move in the mess of Jacob's life, and he can even move in the mess of our lives. Second thing is this, sometimes in the midst of our struggle, all we can do is desperate, desperately hold on to God. <laughs> There's times in all of our lives when all we can do is hold on, and holding on is enough. J Jacob was at the end of himself, and all Jacob could do was just desperately hold on to God. And some of you are in the same situation. We, we all know the last two weeks have been just so difficult with Thad and Sarah and Otto and Oliver. And, and uh, you know, we've been praying for them. I tell you, all, all we can do is hold on to God in circumstances like that. And that's not the only circumstance we're going through. I mean, there, there's other things going on in this church body and other hurts going on. And all we can do is hold on to God. Amen. Thirdly is this. In our most desperate circumstances, we find out who we really are. <laughs> and I love this part of the story because Israel becomes, Jacob becomes Israel. He becomes who he is in this moment, in this wrestling match, in this holding on to God. There is a determination who he really is. And we don't like the storms. We don't like hard circumstances. We don't like chaos. We don't like knowing, not knowing. We, we don't like the things sometimes that, that we go through in life. And I, and I got to tell you, I don't believe God places us in them. I think it's just life. But in the midst of those circumstances, we find out who we are. We find out our character. What's the phrase? Your character is what you are when, when the lights are out. <laughs> when things are tough, when things are hard, we find out who we really are. And the final thing is this. Sometimes our God encounters leave us with a limp. Um, I don't know how long Jacob had this limp. He had it long enough that it affected their dietary habits. <laughs> He had it long enough that it was mentioned and it affected the nation for a long time. To, to me, what I believe, and, and the Bible doesn't say this, I think Jacob limped the rest of his life. And the truth is, some of the things we go through in life will leave a limp in our wrestling with God, and we may limp for the rest of our life, but it's a reminder that there was a moment in our life where we were desperately clinging to God. Here's the truth. Many people in our church are limping today. <laughs> you're limping. You, you've been through it. And Amy, you can come up and start playing if you're here somewhere. You've been through it. Uh, you, you've been through circumstances you don't understand. And, and you just need a fresh encounter with God. You need a reminder. 
Um, we're going to open the altars again today. It's three weeks in a row. What's wrong with him? He's becoming like evangelistic or something, right? Um, and, and you can come. You, if, if you feel the need to pray at the altar, you can pray in your pews. Uh, we're going to give you a few minutes, um, and then Pastor Bob's going to come and close us in prayer. Uh, you say, well, Pastor, you know, I was at the altar two weeks ago. Anybody remember the days when preachers used to come and get you out of the pews and drag your rear to the altar if you didn't go, right? Anybody remember those days? It, you, if you've not been around the church for a long time, it used to be a scary time during altar calls, and you would put your head down for fear that you would make eye contact with the guy on the platform. My, my older brother, we had an evangelist that that every night of revival, he went and got the teens and brought them to the front. <laughs> Did it every night of revival. And, and this was a revival that ended on Sunday night. And so whatever it started Wednesday or Monday or whenever, and, and then Sunday morning, he went and got them. And then, uh, you know, it was Sunday afternoon, then Sunday night, and went and got them again. <laughs> and Danny said, you know, on our way home, he said to mom and dad, he goes, you know, I may have done stuff the rest of the week, but I know I didn't do anything this afternoon. (laughs) This isn't about doing stuff. This is about needing someone. And you could go to the altar every, every time it was open, and you wouldn't be wrong. And it wouldn't be too much. So I'm going to pray with us, and, and then you just move how God moves you, wants, wants you to move. Be obedient to Him. That's all I'm asking. Maybe the relationship's grown cold, and, and maybe maybe you just need to grab hold again. Maybe it's a circumstance. Maybe you just want to pray for revival, which is next week, by the way. Maybe there's somebody you want to see draw closer. You want to pray for them. Maybe you want to be an intercessor. Uh, but just be obedient to Him. Lord, help us as we... Um, as we respond to you to respond with obedience. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.